Welcome to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. As always, I am your host, Chris Lestrino, founder and CEO of King's Crowd. Inside Startup Investing is a number one podcast for learning about the best startups and investors in the online private markets. If you are a startup investor, this is a show for you. This podcast is powered by King's Crowd's proprietary rating technology that helps us to uncover the best founders and stories that you need to hear about before clicking invest. Now, before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor, LawCloud, the premier solution for founders to prepare to raise capital online. Whether you need to file a Form C, a Form 1A, or a subscription agreement, LawCloud provides the lowest cost, easiest to use toolkit for founders to make raising capital online easier than ever. Now, on to today's show. And today, I am joined by Manish Kapoor, who is the founder and CEO of TrueNo, which is a really interesting company in the cybersecurity space. So let's hop in. Manish, thank you so much for joining us here today. Hi, Chris. Nice to be here with you. Nice to be here with you as well. So to start off, tell me a little bit about your background, and then I'd love to hear kind of the one-liner for TrueNow. Sure. Uh, so my background, I'm born and raised in India, have been in the United States since uh, 1994, went to high school, then uh, University CU Boulder, and then I've been in the corporate role for 20 years. And uh, and then a few years ago, decided to uh, uh, go solve a problem, uh, and I'll describe that later on today, uh, and left Cisco and have been working on Truno for the last few years. Wow, very, very cool. So let's hop in. Cybersecurity, probably an area for a lot of us is uh, an unknown. We don't understand it very well. So we're going to, we're definitely going to break it down here. But tell us exactly what Truno is. Yeah, Truno is a advanced uh, threat uh, intelligence and detection and hunting platform. What that means is even if all the enterprises you know, have spent so much money on cybersecurity, despite of all of that, day in, day out, you hear about cyber breaches, right? And what that means is, you know, in cybersecurity, we call adversaries, it's a fancy word for hackers, that they are finding net new ways to bypass uh, enterprise uh, security controls, right? Even with all the money and technologies that's what Truno does is we capture all that context of how the latest attacks are happening and use that information. And we use, uh, you know, algorithms to find that and aggregate that and make it useful for the enterprises so they can proactively defend their networks against these new threats, right? That is the bottom line is learn from new breaches and attacks so the next enterprise can prevent better and faster and easier. To make sure I understand, is it almost like you're using, if you have all of your customers, right, and each one of them might have a hacker trying to hack them in a different way, you're actually collecting all that information and then utilizing that to help each organization see more potential attacks, understand what they look like, and prevent them before they happen? Uh, we do that, and uh, the key difference here is we're not just looking at our customer base. We're looking at across the globe, all the latest cyber attacks being reported by governments, uh, vendors, uh, organizations that are responsible for cybersecurity across the globe. And they are all reporting the latest types of attacks. How are the attackers attacking you? So all this information exists 
But the key is it's so overwhelming amount of information. We take all that information. So it's not just taking our customer data, it's taking all the data about the latest cyber attacks and then contextualizing it and delivering it in the in the context of our customer, what assets they have, what technology they have, what industry they have, so they can see, hey, what poses the highest threats to them based upon all that, and then they can take proactive measures. Understood. And is it providing recommendations on how to protect themselves, or is it kind of just giving them the guidebook of, hey, here are the threats you need to most prevent yourself from getting attacked by? Uh, it's actually both. So we will give them details on here are the latest attacks that are targeted your industry, your technology, and here are actual detection rules that you can proactively put within your network that will prevent anything like this happening to you. So it's uh, take that information on latest threats and turn it into proactive detection rules that these enterprises can deploy. Now I'm curious, ha do you have over kind of the first few years of, of having this deployed in the market, uh, any stories of folks kind of getting these early warnings saying, here's the biggest threats posed to you and then they put something in place and then that threat or attack actually happens and they were able to prevent it? I'll give you a, again, based upon conscious customer names and so forth, I'll give you a, 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 an example that talks about how this could be useful. Uh, there was a, a breach in the a very big, actually, funny enough, it was a very famous cybersecurity training company. Uh, they got breached uh, and they, you know, they said, hey, we got breached and we're, we want to be completely open about what happened with the breach. And they actually presented a webinar about, they're not a customer of ours, but I'm just, it will make the point on this topic. They said, hey, we got breached by this brand new technique never seen before. And that's why we couldn't protect against it. And as I was listening to that webinar and I was thinking to myself, hey, you are not aware of this technique or this threat doesn't mean it actually did not exist. You were just, your team was not aware of it. And we actually have six com confirmed historical breaches using this same attack technique uh, that you are saying is never seen before. Uh, so that's where, you know, enterprises, uh, uh, you know, if they're not aware of these techniques, it doesn't mean it has not happened. Uh, so it's the key is to keep up with these things and take proactive measures. Uh, if they if they actually had our platform, uh, they would have seen that that particular type of attack uh, could be a potential risk to them, and they could have taken steps behind it. So you're the guidebook to preventing these major attacks that can really, you know, I mean, there's been so many of them. To your point, even in the news over the last year and a half, um, you know, there there's a Colonial Pipeline one, right? I mean, there's been some really big big breaches. There's obviously a ton of cybersecurity companies out there. It appears to be a crowded space from an outsider who doesn't know that much about the industry. But talk to us, is there anyone else doing what you're doing? Are you kind of in a unique position of being the guidebook rather than another tool to implement cybersecurity management? Yeah, I think what happens is if you look at the space uh, currently, uh, most uh, TED Intelligence and hunting platforms, what they will do, Chris, is uh, in the world of cybersecurity, uh, again, what happens is we call adversaries. We say, hey, this adversary is known to use, if you're following, let's say, if you're in the finance industry and says, hey, I am worried about these five type of hackers, right? These five names per se. These we call Again, we call them adversaries. 
And so these and these site intelligence platforms will tell you, competitive platform will tell you, here are the 150 different techniques this attacker has used in the past. That's what these platforms give to you today. And the enterprise is like, okay, that's that's interesting. Uh, and so we'll figure out how to prioritize uh, these 150. What we turned that question into a completely different. We said, hey, uh, that's interesting, but that's not the whole story. We want to see how are these attackers trying to bypass your security controls? So we asked that question almost two years ago. What should we do to figure that out for our enterprises? And we found three different ways these uh, adversary slash attackers slash hackers are trying to bypass enterprise security controls. And we focus on what are the net new attack sequences? So it's not just, hey, they will take one technique and attack you. They take a whole new sequence that bypasses your secret control. That's the first way they bypass. And the second way is, hey, they will take all the ways, turn it into a completely new way uh, that, uh, that the newer security controls are not able to find. We capture those. And then they have brand new ways they're attacking you that, again, some of these tools, uh, competitive tools, do not track. So these three things are completely uh, unique to Trino, and that's the fundamental reason, even as a small startup, we're getting traction with some very, very large uh, enterprise customers, some of the biggest organizations in the world. I feel like you're leading me right into my next question, which is, let's talk about what your customer base looks like. Obviously, you can't provide names, but can you provide you know, industry size, that type of information? Yes, absolutely. Uh, to be honest with you, as a startup founder, my perception going into it was that, hey, because we are a smaller startup, uh, you know, we will have small to medium-sized customers uh, because, you know, the bigger guys might not be open to small startups. Uh, it has been the complete opposite uh, reality. Uh, most of our customers tend to be larger size enterprises. And the reality is uh, companies who actually have the resources to proactively take these kind of steps and get context. They tend to have more resources, dedicated resources like threat hunting resources, threat and analyst resources. Uh, those are the company uh, that companies that they tend to use us. And they, they so far, again, not by design, just happens to be, uh, tend to be in the finance sector, insurance sector, uh, commercial real estate sector, and, and big cloud providers uh, in this in uh, as well. Uh, so those are the type of customers uh, we are in production with and we're trials with. In terms of the sales process, you, you mentioned something that I thought is interesting and, and worth highlighting. When you're selling into these big organizations, I mean, sometimes, you know, there could be the RFP process, right? Which could take a year for them to basically pick their preferred vendor and you have to follow all these rules. And it could be a very, very laborious process to be able to sell into these big organizations. And I'd imagine with cybersecurity, they're even more careful. Um, but what does the sales cycle look like for you? Um, and as you think about your pipeline and what you have there today, you know how fast do you think you can scale this within that sales process? Absolutely. Uh, you hit the nail in the head. Uh, if you're trying to uh, win a deal at a very large enterprise, which requires... Uh, API integrations, as well as uh, if you know if any of their data needs to be in your platform, uh, it's a huge, long, drawn-out process. RFPs, 
uh, as well as uh, you know vendor compliance reviews and all that. So we are very aware of that. I actually spent 10 years at Cisco Systems selling to these kind of enterprises. So we use some of those hurdles. So what we have done is in order to overcome this uh, challenge, uh, we've had built a, a two-pronged kind of a solution slash a process. Uh, enterprises can start to gain value from our platform uh, just in a traditional SaaS uh, dashboard where they're able to set up saying, hey, I have these types of assets. I have these I am, of course, in this industry. I'm able to customize the top things that I should be aware of without any integration, without any information from them coming into our platform. Uh, so this allows them to actually even buy the product within the 30 days uh, right after trials. And then there are other enterprises who do want to go through that very detailed integration. Uh, frankly, that's where it takes anywhere from three to six months. Uh, so we are trying to find that balance of uh, winning deals faster, uh, where they can find value even before they do API integration. Uh, and we actually had some success with it. And But some of these large enterprises, we did go through several months of uh, integration and cycle, uh, but they really help you get your product right, especially in the early stages. So it was really worth it. Nice. And and what is the pricing model for your solution? Uh, it's a SaaS, typical SaaS model in terms of uh, uh, annual uh, recurring ARR uh, based upon the size of the enterprise, based the number of users that will be using our SaaS dashboard. And then there's uh, API integrations, how many API uh, you know calls they make or API integrations they want. So it's a annual recurring revenue based upon the size and the you know technicality of their user base and their API integrations. And at this point, would you say that you have product market fit? And then I'd love to hear some feedback that maybe you've received from customers around why it's really providing value to them. Yes. Uh, I would say we are getting better and better at product market fit. That means is we were originally going after, again, as a startup, don't really know what exactly use cases. We have a problem we're trying to solve and you're trying to find that product market fit and the right use cases. Right now, we are getting closer and closer to that product market fit uh, because there are two or three specific use cases. It's a consist the customers who have bought, it's the same exact use cases they are buying for. And that actually helps us refine that further. So it's a cycle, right? You get one use case starts to work and a big customer works with you and gets even better. So the next customer says, oh, you looks like you have actually done a lot with this use case. So I would say we have about two use cases that we feel good product market fit with. And there are a couple other use cases we're still uh, dabbling with some trials to see if that really makes a, uh, you know, a, long, a long-term scaling uh, and a product uh, fit for broader use cases. Understood. And at this time, can you dive in a little bit and just tell us what your team looks like? Obviously, this is a very high-end technology from what I could gather here. So um, I would imagine it's a lot of tech staff. But yeah, what does the team construct look like today? Yes, the team consists of about 10 to 12 people, depend depending on full-time, part-time. Uh, the the most important and uh, the differentiation of our team is the diversity of our team from the skill set all the way to background. So most of the team has, uh, uh, the beautiful part is it's a uh, people, myself, I have a technical background, but technical sales, selling uh, 
high-end uh, security solutions to enterprises coming from Cisco Systems. But the rest of the team has experience in developing large and SaaS platforms, uh, AI, very detailed uh, detection and analysis capability, front-end, back-end. So that diversity of the skill set is the one of the most important things that is working for us. And then also personal background. Between us, uh, we are literally across four continents and six countries and speak uh, 11 languages between us. Uh, so, and there are half of them are men, half of them are women. So between all those things, we feel really blessed to have the level of diversity in skill set as well as personal background uh, that makes us, uh, you know, you know, click together. You're raising capital right now. Um, where will the, those capital funds be deployed to help grow the business? Uh, one of the most, so two places we are focusing, we will be focusing, focusing our capital raise uh, use of funds for. One is as we are uh, winning some of these large enterprise customers, they frankly bring us to our knees in terms of new feature requests. They really push us hard to go faster and more and more advanced capabilities. So to just win new deals and to keep our current customers happy, uh, we are working on some very advanced use cases. So, uh, so part of that use of funds will be to grow our software engineering team uh, to keep up with that demand. Uh, and the second one is uh, go-to-market. Uh, that means since the current uh, you know, team stack is more technically focused, uh, we need to build a little bit more of a sales and go marketing uh, marketing team because uh, that's where we are short on staff. Everybody else is technical in the team. Uh, so I think that's where we think that putting some dedicated resources on the go-to-market sales and marketing and especially uh, some partnership uh, BDM people that because, you know, in, in cybersecurity, it's all about ecosystems. Uh, people don't just buy a product. They buy it as part of an ecosystem through a, uh, a, a system that already through a distribution channel that already exists, and that's where we want to build some partnerships. So, so it's a, the balance between new feature with software programmers and some go-to-market. That's where we want to uh, focus you, this use of funds for. Yeah, you made a really interesting comment that I want to hit on. So, you talked about you know these customers asking for more features and capabilities and customizations, which to me, as a business person, get excited on the front of stickiness of the product, right? The more you're kind of ingratiating the way that you do cybersecurity, the more likely you are to kind of stick with that service. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about stickiness of the product. Um, and the second thing that I'd love to hear more about is, is there an opportunity in doing these things to create the upsell opportunity, right? Because a repeat customer and a customer that increases how much they're spending with you is better than a new customer. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one thing, uh, you know, talking about that new feature request, right? Uh, as a founder, to be honest with you, we have to be very careful. We cannot, uh, at, especially at this early stage, do one-off feature requests, right? If one customer says, can you do, it happens to be a big customer, but says, can you do this for us? We always look through the lens of saying, hey, can this feature be used by, you know, 15 other customers? That's what we want to prioritize. We try to triangulate that with five other customers to make sure, uh, because we only have limited resources, that's the first thing we'll do is uh, 
uh, make sure we're not building something, a feature or something important for just one customer. Uh, so that's very important. Second thing is uh, stickiness. As we, as these customers guide us on these new features and we triangulate and we make it, it, it does make sense. What happens is they are constantly asking us to deliver uh, more efficiencies to them. For example, they're saying, hey, we were using, you know, some of these customers started off saying, hey, we are using your intelligence data and writing some detection rules. Can you take uh, can you take some of the data we're getting? You're, you know, we're, instead of us writing that from scratch, can you actually give us some base level of detection rules? We will always need to customize it for our own needs, the last 20%, but it will be huge efficiencies if you can give us some base detection rules. So, and, and they're willing to pay for it. So listening to those kind of requests because in that request is a opportunity to upsell. They're like, hey, yeah, we love your data. We love your information. But if you can take a next step a little bit further towards it, will get mean significant efficiencies to our team. And by the way, we're willing to pay for it because it will save us significant amount of uh, our own resources. So that is the key. Do it some, do whatever you want to build the next that it will scale for multiple customers and do it in the way that will actually allow you to gain more revenue, not just keep adding features for the same revenue. You talked a little bit about this kind of ecosystem play, right? In cybersecurity, you're not just buying the one-off, but you want a suite of things that you're utilizing, which I think is one of the reasons why cyber has had such a, a high level of acquisition activity where companies in the cyberspace are buying up other companies. So as you think about exit, obviously as a founder, you always have to think about all of the options, but... Um, you know, are there some interesting acquisitions to use kind of as comps of things that could happen for a business like yours? We're actually thinking about this from the very beginning. Uh, the, the important part is no matter what you do in cybersecurity, no matter which part of cybersecurity a vendor is in, every part of cybersecurity needs to have the latest uh, threat intelligence because if you do not have that, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's hard to build a good trust security product if you don't have the right type of intelligence, as well as detections. So our product naturally needs to have an ecosystem in terms of integration with SIM vendors, with EDR vendors, with, uh, you know, with other kinds of platforms, uh, log management vendors, and so forth. Uh, so the beautiful thing is, as we are building those integrations, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a very natural fit for some some of these providers over the long term uh, to see, hey, could, you know, we are actually doing this integration and we have a common customer base uh, that it, at some point it does make sense for us to just acquire this company because we can see many of our customers are using their information with integration uh, with their own platform. So that's how we're building our own partnerships as part of integration because at some point we think we'll look very attractive to uh, some some of these vendors to just acquire us, and because we have such a common customer base, and it uh, it's a complementary to their own product. You know, you're raising capital right now. For those who are listening, what's kind of your last pitch? You know, if they're on the fence, what would what would you tell them? Uh, first of all, I will say is uh, starting with cyber is a great space to be in uh, as a as a startup. Uh, it means we've seen, all of us have heard all about all kinds of breaches and threats. 
And trust me, as the world economy gets even more digitized, it's only get going to get more critical and more critical. It already is at such a critical part of the you know equation for enterprises as well as businesses. It will get even more critical over time. So we're in the right space. And especially with the ability to automate, uh, uh, to understand and detect uh, latest threats is a hot field is actually, is, it's, uh, if you look at the market forecast, uh, it's going to actually go four times over the next uh, 10 years. It's going to grow by 400%. So it's a very growing field. Uh, and uh, leveraging some of the new AI tools is making it even more lucrative. So we think we are the right place at the right time to take advantage of it. And we'll love to uh, have them join us on our journey. Terrific. And last question for you here. You came from a huge company. You're working at Cisco. You've become an entrepreneur, taking something from nothing to hopefully, you know, a very large company. You're a startup. Tell me about one of the greatest challenges uh, that maybe you didn't expect going into this journey that you've experienced being a founder now for the past few years. One of the biggest challenges as a founder uh, you deal with is uh, it's all about finding uh, right people. Uh, and it is, especially as an early stage, uh, because you don't have you know a lot of capital to give uh, in terms of big salaries and so forth. So you have to really find people who are passionate for uh, the problem you're solving or the solution you're building. Uh, so I would say if you are a founder or thinking of being a founder, your number one job is to find the right people. And that right people is not just your team, but it's also your early customers. It's also your early partners. It's also your early investors because they truly have to believe in you and the problem you're solving and the way you're solving it because there are many, many ups and downs you will go through and uncertainties you will go through. So having the right people in all of these categories from team to partners to customers, because they need to guide you from the very beginning, you know, till you are more in a, you know, until you find the product market fit. And it is, it is hard to find that, uh, you know, find those good people in every one of those stages because you meet so many people but finding that chemistry and fit is so critical. And that's the number one advice I would do is uh, having, uh, have, and we actually have a word for it within our team. We call it big people, uh, brilliantly intelligent, but genuinely good as well. So big, B-I-G-G, brilliantly intelligent and genuinely good. You want these people on your side from the very beginning. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Love the acronym. And uh, Manish, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you today, spend some time learning more about your business. Uh, Trudeau is a really, really interesting investment opportunity. Go check them out. And uh, thank you so very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you want to use the same tools I do to find amazing founders like the ones I have on the show to power your investment decisions, you can head on over to kingscrowd.com backslash startups to try out our Edge Pro Toolkit for 30 days free. And of course, like and subscribe us on your favorite podcast platform.